Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. How's everybody doing today? Well, that's good. Good to hear. Um, let's see. What are we going to do first? Um, if, you, if it's your first time here, I'm Jim Del Campo, and I'm the... Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. It's good to have you with us today. But I, I know what I want to do first, and that is this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a very patriotic person. Just, that's the way it is. That's the way I'll always be, okay? And this week is coming up Veterans Day. So how many veterans do we have in the audience? Would you stand up in the audience? We just want to honor you, celebrate you. Veterans, stand up. With, stand up. We want to give you something. Stay standing. Stay standing. Can we give you something? Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. Let's give these guys a big, guys and gals, a big hand. Hey, Angel, I'm kind of warm. Would you check the air up here? Because I'm already on fire and I need to cool down a bit. Hey, but God bless you guys. Thank you for all that you did. It's because of people like them that you and I have freedom. It's because of people like them that you and I can go to sleep at night and feel very secure. Never forget that. Never forget that, my friends. Freedom is a fragile thing, and we've got to hold on to freedom. And they're protecting us, and they're keeping us safe. So we will always honor, as long as I'm the senior pastor, we're going to be very patriotic in this church. I've had people, I'll be honest with you, get very mad at me and leave the church because I'm patriotic. I refuse to bend to that type of stuff. You know, so... So, I guess what I'm saying is, if you want to cancel me, uh, fine, go ahead. I really don't care. You know, whatever it is. Um, but also, you were given uh, this um, on the way in. I hope you got these. And um, this is a Bible reading plan. We're going to give you one every Sunday. And it's a very, it's only like four verses a night because we're starting this series on the Bible. And I really, I, I, my, my passion one of my biggest passions is to that you would read the scriptures. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to know the Bible because we are living in a time of biblical illiteracy among Christians. It's a fact. All the polls and research show that most Christians don't ever read their Bible. And so I, I think that's kind of a tragedy. And so we want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you have a, new, a Bible where it's like King James and you're not getting it, Get a simple translation. Ask for a simple translation here at the Connection in the lobby. They'll give you one. Start in the New Testament and start reading a little bit. But this will get you going, okay? And every week we're going to give you one of these so that you can read. And I hope you follow that. It is my heart. It is my passion. Now, we left a series, 10 weeks we did on Cycle Breaker, Cycle Maker. I enjoyed the series. I wish it'd keep going, but at 10 weeks was good enough, I think. Now I'm going to tell you a little secret our big secret. I need your prayers to help me because I've never done this before, but I waited 32 years for all those notes, put it all together, and to share in 10 weeks, could have gone 13. Now I'm going to take all of it and I'm going to put that, I'm going to write my first book based on that series right there because that was always the goal of that series. And um, I, I think it helped a lot of people. Any amens on that right there? And because it's very open, honest, vulnerable. But I need your prayers. I've never done this before. And I need the time to be able to do that and not get distracted with a lot of things. And so it's going to be a, 
for me a monumental task to do I've never done it the other thing is I don't want to I never wanted to write a book just to write a book that doesn't even excite me at all it's too much work but I wanted to write a book that meant something to people and that people would read they would help them so that's just been my goal in that so just you know pray for me on that one if you remember now today we're going to talk about the Bible and its reliability now I'll get to that in a second but let me just tell you for those of you who've never been here to church you're new you don't know anything about me uh, let me tell you I didn't grow up in church so you could strike that one out right away I, 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 I didn't want anything to do with church didn't want anything to do with Christianity I didn't want anything to do with the Bible I didn't want anything to do with anybody that even smelled like a Christian I didn't want anything I mean you've heard stories where people came up and shared faith with me on Whittier Boulevard when I was like 21 years old and a real sweet girl and she came up and said started sharing with my friends I go I know what this is because my family's already becoming Christians I want to so I walk away walk down the block and then she leaves them and I see her coming and I go oh she better not tell me anything and here she comes and she says in the sweetest way ever she goes she goes you know you're going to hell don't you (laughs) and I was so callous and so hard you know what I said to her I said well that's the breaks huh that's how I was, my friend. I know it's hard to think because I'm so sweet now. I get it. But, wow, Raul, that wasn't that funny, okay? <laughs> he does that to me all the time, so don't worry. But I, I didn't, so I didn't read anything either. Um, the only thing I read, and I'm going to date myself, remember when we get newspapers? Some of you are going, what's a newspaper, right? These giant papers, okay? We get giant, yeah, and now you have your little phone you're reading there. But I'd only read the sports page, and that's all I would read. I wanted nothing to do with any of this stuff, didn't like reading, wouldn't read the Bible, nothing. And then, you know, at age 23, I'm a young single guy, and I'm living for the party and everything that goes with that, and uh, my family's becoming Christians, and they invite me one more time to go to church, and they, they baited me. And they said, if you go to church with us, and I just bought a house, young guy, back then for the whopping amount of $52,000, okay? So, you know, some of you young people going, I wish it was that way now. Well, back then in 79, that felt like all the money in the world to me, okay? It's all relative. So um, I go, okay, I'll go, because she'd give me a housewarming party. I go, okay, free presents. <laughs> so I go, and I, by the way, I went there with one of the biggest hangovers of my life that day. I was just, I was just like, big headache. You know, your head feels out to here. And I went because, you know, I want the house room party. And that night, uh, you know, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. David Wilkerson, that fire and brimstone preacher, passed away in an auto accident about eight years ago, nine years ago. He was preaching, and I I gave my life to Christ. And in that moment, you know, things changed in my life. And uh, my sister gave me, and I'm going to date myself. How many older Christians? I mean, you're you're older, and you've been a Christian a long time. Okay, we're going to lock you up. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But remember those, um, I don't know if they still have them, those hardback green living Bible paraphrase. You remember those? Remember those? That was one of the, that was the first Bible that was given to me. And so I started reading this Bible, and I'd never read anything but the sports page before, and I couldn't believe how exciting these stories were. And I, I was like amazed at the wisdom and the logic, I'm a very logical thinker, and, and, I, and the morality of all these things, it was incredible to me. And I thought, why did I wait so long to start reading this thing? Well, I had to, you know, give my life to Christ first. And uh, so 42 years later, and some of you thought, I thought you were only 42. I get it, okay. But, but 42 years later, I've been a Christian, and I've, I've been reading it ever since, studying it. 
And I study it for hours and hours. I just cannot get enough of this stuff. And so today, as I share on this, I share on the Bible and its reliability, it's my passion, it's my hope that you will fall in love with the scriptures. I honestly don't know how anyone can be a Christian and not read the scriptures. I don't know how you can do that because your mind's not being transformed. And your mind must be transformed to prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, what we're going to do, I'm going to tell you where we're going. Next week, we're going to talk about, have, how many of you ever heard of the scarlet thread of redemption running through Scripture? Anyone heard that term before? You've heard it? Heard? Okay, there's this thread running through the Old Testament. And it's the thread of Jesus Christ. He's in the Old Testament. You just don't know it if you don't study it enough. He's in there, but it's a scarlet thread of him that runs through it. We'll talk about that next week. The week after, we're going to look at um, interpretation and pulling things out of context, stuff like that, because the way cults begin and the way we get our thinking wrong is we'll pull one verse out and we'll say, oh, I'm going to apply it for this, and it doesn't mean that. For instance, how many people have ever heard the verse, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. You ever heard that one? The most misused verse probably in the New Testament, in my opinion. Because we take that and apply it to everything. But if you put it in context, you find that Paul's context is, I'm content with very little in my life, not having a lot, and I'm content with having a lot in my life. Either way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever my circumstance, whatever my situation. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's in context is what it's saying there. Now, And then the fourth week, I'm going to talk about how the Bible, how many ever notice when you read the scriptures, it's almost like it jumps out at you. It's like, how many feel like it's talking straight at me? How did God know that, you know? You know, and I'm going to talk about how it's just alive in our life. Now, today is the reliability of the Bible. It's a big one. Now, some of you are deep students of scripture and things I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to try not to bore you with this foundational message. I don't find it boring. Um, because it is foundational and it's reliability. Um, but some of you go deeper into that than I do. There's plenty of books you can buy on what I'm going to talk about today. I got 35 minutes, okay? So I can't do a college class today to give you everything on it. But I'm going to give you enough, hopefully, be able to reason out and defend your faith on this particular um, uh, 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 part of the Bible. Sound like a plan? Okay, I want to make some statements today and I'm going to explain them. Um, so the first tip I want to make is this. The Bible is not a book. It's never been a book until hundreds of years after the fact of the resurrection. What the Bible really is, it's a collection of 66 letters, or books, whatever you want to call them in there, letters written by over 40 authors over a period of over 1,500 years on three different continents, Asia, Europe, and some of it in Africa. It does not contradict itself, and it is God's Word. So it's not a book per se, it's a collection of these 66 letters, 27 New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament is what we have here. So that's really what it is. And so I want to now take you, embark you on a journey this morning to show you the reliability of this. I wanted to use Genesis chapter 3, but we've already used that for like 10 straight weeks, right? So I thought I better not do that again. But, that's, but I'll get there eventually in this opening comments. But 
If you have your Bibles, turn to John 1 and verse 1. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you're bringing your Bible, you have your, your Bible on phone or whatever, but you need to bring your Bibles, my friends. You want to grow in these things, okay? You're a Christian. Now, John 1.1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Jehovah Witnesses will add a word at the end of that. Instead of saying, and the word was God, they'll add, and the word was a God. It's false, false. They print their own new world translation themselves. They don't have any Greek scholars. They say, but they don't. So they change it. Because you get any true Greek scholar, they'll say that's not what the manuscripts say. Now, you take this, and you look at verse 14 of the same chapter, and it says, and the word, for definition now, to find out who he's talking about, the writer John, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw, in other words, we were eyewitnesses of this person, of who this word is. We're we saw his glory, not just walking, seeing him, we saw him glorified. We were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw it, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, we know then by definition that the Word came and dwelt among us. Therefore, the Word is, it's Jesus. That's who He's telling you it is. He's full of grace and He's full of truth. He's not 50% of each. He's 100% of both. Because... Um, one day with the adulterous woman in John chapter 8 after it's all said and done Jesus tells her he says where are your accusers as no one condemn me she says no one Lord and then he says neither do I condemn you that's grace but then he adds go and sin no more that's truth you see you got to put them both together or else they just don't work now as a Christian we can fall into certain imbalances we can be, some of us are all truth. I'm going to just tell that guy the truth. Well, good for you, huh? All you're going to do is drive him away. If you're just going to give him truth for the sake of truth, no. Truth is truth. But you got, and then some people are the other way. Well, I'm gonna, not going to hurt their feelings. I'm going to give them grace. Don't worry. God forgives you. You can keep on sinning all you want. You know, and that's all grace. You can't do that either. You got to bring them together 100%. You got to give truth and you got to give the grace of God. Correct? We all, coming into church, need God's grace and God's favor because we know we've messed up. But we also need the truth of God's word to take us out of error and to walk correctly in life. Any amens? So you've got you to do it that way. Now, in John 1.1, it's not saying that Jesus had a beginning like he began somewhere. It's saying in the beginning of the universe when God created, Jesus already was. And in fact, around verse Three, it's telling us that Jesus himself is the creator of everything. Now, let me show you something cool on a little side note so I can get to eventually what I'm going to get to. Um, in John chapter 1, it begins with Jesus as the creator. Scholars say the first segment of John ends in John chapter 2 at the wedding of Canaan. So it ends with a wedding. Now, you think about that. It starts in John 1 with the creation. The first segment ends with the wedding. Take your whole Bible. 
Genesis chapter 1 begins with creation. Revelation ends with a wedding. Isn't that something? Isn't that a cool parallel right there? Now let me give you another parallel so I can get to what I'm going to tell you here. In John 1, it says in the beginning was the word. Words. He's words. You could speak words. In Genesis chapter 1, in other words, Jesus is the word, God's word. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning it says, and God said. God spoke, right? God spoke words and the creation and all, be, he began to create everything. So you see it in both cases, this word coming forth of God. But in Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis 3, which we studied for 10 weeks, one of the things you have to remember is that once Adam and Eve are created, the serpent comes, and what does he try to get them to question? God's word. He says, hath God said? Did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? And for ever since that moment, around 6,000 years ago or whatever, um, we find that the word of God has been attacked has been questioned. Satan will try to get you to question in your own mind, right? And the people will go after that. And it, it, it's unrelenting. And so today, I want to take you down the road of reliability. Is what we have here in these 66 letters, is it reliable? And if it is, why is it reliable? So I'm going to try to help you to defend your faith in that case. I'm going to answer three questions today. Each point will be in the form of a question, okay? Then as a Jeopardy contestant... No, I'm just joking, okay. So here we go. Three, three questions. First question is this. I'm going to answer. Why were these letters picked? Why were these letters picked? Anyone ever wonder that? Ever wonder why were these picked? Now, I'm going to focus on the 27 New Testament letters that we have here. Why were these picked? Now... <clears throat> I love Joe Rogan as a UFC announcer. Anybody know who Joe Rogan is? Raise your hand if you know. I like him. I like UFC. I like him. But as a guy on social media, I don't always like him. I don't know because I don't agree with what he's doing. I actually watched it. I heard him, Joe Rogan, and say basically, and this is what he said. He said, those of you people who believe in this Bible and this Jesus and everything, it's just mythology. All it is is Constantinople slapped these books together and you guys believe it. And then he said this, you have to be an effing idiot to believe this stuff. What? And he said that, okay? And now you say, no, he did I watched him say it, okay? Now, I still like him as a UFC announcer because I'm not part of the mature cancel culture, okay? <laughs> I don't cancel people because I don't agree with something that they said. Just the same way that you in your marriage don't cancel your spouse out when you don't agree with them, right? Any amens on that? Yeah, okay, let's grow up now, okay? Now, the problem is that he has never, ever had a New Testament scholar on to explain the truth of how he got these things and why we can be assured this is God's word. He's never had those. He's just going by what somebody said or some cliche. And isn't that a problem in our culture today? My gosh, people just, and I, I just cannot believe, people just take things, repost it. You haven't even looked at the evidence of it. And you just repost it. 
and you've now shared a lie and you've become a liar with the rest of them because you haven't checked it out. We live in a cliche society. We don't check any evidence whatsoever and we need to. He's not checking it. Bloggers don't check it. They just throw things out there. I remember, this is about six, seven months ago, uh, one of my favorite actors, Denzel Washington, he's the equalizer in case you don't know, okay? Um, uh, But uh, I, I was watching this thing with him and he's talking to journalists. And here's what he said to them. And he's right. He said, look, if I don't watch the news, I'm uninformed. And then he adds, if I do watch the news, I'm misinformed. <laughs> and then he tells them, all you people do, he's talking to the journalists, all you do is you hear a story and you take it and you want to be the first to put it on your program and you don't even check to see if it's true. You just want to be the first. And that's the culture we live in. And you got to be careful with stuff like that. Don't jump on things like that. Check it out. Investigate. Give it time. Otherwise, if you repost, guess what? You're a liar like them and you're a slanderer. And the Bible says, do not lie and do not slander. Now, have I healed some of you now? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Okay. So, now... Why were these letters picked? Let me give you some more fun stuff, fun facts. Now, let me make the, sta- make the statement, and then let me explain it, because in your head, you're going to go, that doesn't sound right. It will once I explain it. Christianity predates this the Bible, 66 letters put in one book form. Christianity predates the Bible by hundreds of years. What do you mean by that? I mean this. The early first followers, they didn't have this altogether in book form, did they? No. What they had were letters that were written by Paul, or other, and they were passed to different churches in different locations around the Mediterranean. That's what they had. They didn't have this. And one of the things they had was what's called creeds, or creedal statements. They're very rhythmic statements. You find one in um, 1 Corinthians, it's written down. It says, Jesus, he died, was buried, and raised according to the scriptures. Da, 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 da. It's very rhythmic. And they would have these creedal arguments and statements, and they would pass them along verbally because they didn't have the Bible. Many of them didn't have the letters. And so they had these things, and they're easy to memorize because many people, they couldn't read. And so you have these early creedal arguments, and New Testament scholars, both atheist, agnostic, and evangelical New Testament scholars, not bloggers, bloggers don't know any better, scholars, they will date those creedal arguments or creedal statements to within the first six months to two years of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They all do. And so these are the things that they had. So Christianity predates this. They didn't have this. You and I have this in our life. Now, to the question, because you're going, when are you going to get to the question? Yeah, the question is, why were these, and I'm going stri- to stri- strictly stay with the New Testament on this, why were these 27 New Testament letters, why were they picked? I'm going to give you five, re- five criteria, and I can't, I'm gonna, this is going to take 30 seconds to say this. I could spend a week on each one, but I can't do that. This is not a Bible college class. Now, the ins- here's the criteria. The inspired letters had the fingerprints of God on them. And here's the five criteria of the fingerprints of God. This is what they went by. First off, they were written by a prophet. 
They had to be rid of pride. Hebrews 1, 1, 2 Peter 1, 20, 21. And there's more verses, but I just gave you two in that case. In other cases, it will be one or two. The second thing is, the writer had to be a confirmed prophet. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. The third thing is, it has to tell the truth about God. Galatians 1, 8. Let me give you that one real quick. Paul writes in Galatians 1, 8, even if I, Paul, or an angel from heaven preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the gospel that you received, let him be accursed. In other words, if it don't agree with the new other letters, it's, it's not valid. It's not right. And I will add that Joseph Smith of the Mormons, he says that Moroni, an angel, appeared to him and gave him uh, the, the, the Book of Mormon, which in there, and it does state in there that you are saved by faith after all you can do. In other words, you're saved by your works. That's what it says word for word. You're saved by what you do. Well, this says no, you're not saved by what you do. So it's contrary to what this says. And by the way, that means all religions aren't the same. Any amens on that one? No, it has to tell the truth about God. The fourth thing is, it has to have the transforming power of God in the lives of the readers. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. It's got to have that in there. And fifth, it has this. It had to be accepted by the people of God. You find that in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. So once they had this criteria in place, now they could put together from these letters what's called the New Testament canon. Canon means read or measuring rod. Now they have it. And the early church fathers, um, one or more of them confirmed these 27 letters a short time after the end of the first century, even though they were all written in the first century. Okay? You follow me so far? Okay, good. Okay, here we go. Big question. In point one. What about the books that were left out? Anyone ever hear that one? What about those books, preacher? Okay. What about those 80 gospels of, you know, the Da Vinci Code talks about? Because that was big, right? Well, first off, there weren't 80. There was maybe a couple dozen. There weren't 80. Now, let me tell you about these. Why, why were those not in here? Because not one of them came from the apostles. None of them. They all came from the second or third century long after the apostles were dead. They're called apocryphas. means fraud, fraudulent. And all they did, somebody wrote it and slapped somebody's well-known name on that so it would look like it's from the apostles. Well, how do you... What's well, second and third century? The apostles were dead by the time these things were written. They also contain contrary teaching to what these New Testament letters teach. How do, I'll give you for instance. In some of them, they write that Jesus performed miracles as a child. Wrong. Okay? John of the writer, the eyewitness of Jesus, walked with Jesus, wrote the Gospel of John. He writes in this Gospel that we're in the beginning, he says that he's writing this book to show the signs that Jesus did so that people would believe. He's writing this as an eyewitness. That's how we call John the Gospel of the Seven Signs. And he says the first sign, the first sign that Jesus did, the first miracle is in John 2, and that's when Jesus is around, eight, uh, around, 80, around 30 years of age, and he turns water into wine. That's the first sign. These apocryphas, these false gospels, they say Jesus did miracles as a kid. Eh, incorrect. It's wrong. The eyewitness says that didn't happen. This is what happened right there. Are you following me so far? Okay, now... 
these fraudulent gospels are filled with all kinds of exaggerated writing. They're just, if you ever just want to read something hilarious, read the resurrection in the false gospel of Thomas, I think it is. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's insane what they describe. It's, so, it's hyperbole. Now, let's move on. The second question is this. Does the Bible have mistakes? That's a big one, huh? Have you heard that one before? Oh, it's filled with mistakes. Always ask them, could you show me one? They don't know. <laughs> they just say, it's just a cliche they've heard. Now let me tell you something before I talk about mistakes. Most books from antiquity, from the ancient world, ancient times, they survive today a book. Typically they have 10 to 20 copies of that book that survived from antiquity. The most of anything that survived outside the New Testament is Homer's Iliad. How many have heard of Homer's Iliad? They have 643 manuscripts of Homer's Iliad. The New Testament from antiquity, we have 5,800 plus manuscripts of the New Testament in Greek, plus another 19,000 in other languages. We have 25,000 New Testaments. Nothing else comes close to that. Do you know how important that is to historians to have this amount of manuscripts? Nothing else comes close. Let me give you another one. You've heard me talk about Alexander the Great and the timetable and stuff like that. Anybody remember that? I must not be a very good teacher. You don't remember. Okay. Okay. Alexander the Great he exists 3-something B.C. Did anyone at his time when he lived, did anyone write about him? Yeah. Do we have any of those writings from that time? No. What do we have that we know about him? Well, you have to move forward in time 300, 350 years, and these are the writings that we have about Alexander the Great. 350 years, thereabouts, whatever, after he actually lived. 350 years. Now let's go back to the Bible. Here's the resurrection. The first manuscript written, let me move in time frame over, is like that. We have 1 Corinthians. It was written around 51 AD. Well, how do you know that for a fact? I know it for a fact because there is, when Paul is traveling in the book of Acts through Corinth, there is a governing official by the name of Galileo and we know historically, it's a fact, that these officials, that this guy was an official at that time, and those officials only held office for one year, and he held it around 51 or 52 A.D. So we know Corinthians, Paul writes it around that time because of that. Is that cool or what? And that's, that's great. Within 20 years, we have that. Within 20 years, we have the first one written. And here we have Alexander the Great, 350 years later, go, oh, it's got to be true. It's got to be right. But over here, we have it 20 years after. Oh, that can't be right. Yeah, we, have, we have way more than anything else has around. Now, <clears throat> mistakes. How many of you just hate it on that autocorrect in your text messaging? <laughs> right? This happened to me yesterday. I think it was, maybe it was Friday. So I'm in a Summers of God minister, and we have these breakfasts every month. They're Region 8 pastor's breakfast. 
And I get a, a, a phone message reminding me of it. And then you know how the phone translates it into letters and you can read what they said? You know what I mean? Please tell me you know, you know what I mean. So that I like, well, let's see what they said. And it said, <laughs> it said, <laughs> how many of you, we're all pastors, how many are going to the Ouija game breakfast? Pass the eggs and bacon. <laughs> the Ouija game bread. <laughs> My phone interpreted instead of instead of region eight, it was Ouija game. Okay. Once again, uh, greeters. How many greeters here again in this room? You greet here at the church. You greet. Raise your hand. Okay, greeters, greeters, greeters. Okay. Greeters passed this out today. Pastor Charlie Headley. He texted me early this morning, reminded me that we're giving these out because he's, I think, at one of the other campuses. And I, and I text back, okay, how are the people going to get this? How are they going to receive it? And he texts back, and it says, the greatest will pass them out. <laughs> we come down over there, okay? So I text back, the greatest, and he texts back, go, the greeters. And so all you greeters, evidently, you're the greatest in Charlie Eddy's book, okay? I'm going to look into that, okay? Now, <clears throat> so, are there errors? Yeah. But before you get all crazy on me, let me explain it, okay? These Old Testament and New, or New Testament, they're all, they're copied by hand. Remember that. They were putting it in the copier. They're copied by hand. Do humans make mistakes? Of course they do. But today, right now as I speak, with all the work and all the effort by scholars, what we have right now, our New Testament is 99.9% free of any error at all. Wait, you say, but there's one-tenth of one percent. But with regard to any doctrines, it is 100% accurate. Bart Ehrman of the University of North Carolina, foremost New Testament agnostic atheist scholar in America, affirms that what is here is all the doctrines are 100% accurate from the earliest of earliest manuscripts. Even he says so. So you can be sure we got the real deal. Amen? Amen. Let me show you how and how they how these the mistakes work. I'm going to give you an example of a mistake in a modern day form. Put it up on the screen. It's why hashtag you have won the lotto. Can anyone here not figure out what that first word is? And don't go, uh wow. No, you know it says you. Now, you're saying, Jim, they didn't have hashtag. <laughs> I know. It's a modern day example, okay? I know. But you know what it says. That's your typical error right there. Now, let me take it further. The scribes, when they copied these things and they did it, they were very meticulous. And because this was God's word and they believed so strong in God, they didn't want any mistakes. <laughs> 
So when one was copied, guess what they would do? They would compare it with other manuscripts that they have. And let's see if there's any mistakes. And then they'd catch it, and then they have another pure man. That's what they did. And so we right here, we have exactly proven the, the doctrines of God's word and it's 99.9% accurate and those types of errors are what you're seeing on the screen that's the typical thing but you know what it is saying can I give you another crazy thing about what's going about this can I huh yeah mm, huh the Dead Sea Scrolls you ever hear about those okay if you ever go to Jerusalem with me Israel you get to go into a museum there in Jerusalem and you get to see them okay they're fakes the real ones are hidden okay they won't let you see the real ones but you get to see the copies they found the shepherd boy in Qumran where the Essenes uh, dwelt he was looking for sheep and he threw a rock into a cave there's a lot of caves there how many have ever been to Israel with me you've seen those caves yet okay you've seen the caves he throws it in there looking for something and he hears this crack What's, that was weird. So he, he slides down in there and he finds these jars, big jars, and he looks in there and there's these scrolls in there, lots of scrolls. And he takes them out and he turns and he sells them for whatever little amount. And the people look at him and they go, hey, wait a minute, what do we have here? And then they go back, ex excavate more, look more, and they found, yes, the book of Isaiah in complete form. They found the Old Testament. The only part that's missing is Esther. And these things are dated 200 years B.C., they're a thousand years earlier than the manuscripts we have right now, than the years we have now. And you compare them a thousand years apart, and it's 99.9% .9 the same thing. Is that amazing or what, my friends? We have the truth. We have these things. It is God's word. So we don't have to worry about those things. Now, the third question I want to answer is this. Why is the Bible God's word? That's a big question, right? You know what the answer is? Because Jesus said so. It's just that simple. Now, I'm going to take you on a scripture run. And I hope you start reading your Bible, but I want you to notice what Jesus says in the Gospels. And maybe you never noticed these things before, and maybe you have. But watch what Jesus says about the scriptures. Here we go. I'm going to take you on a run. Matthew 22, 29. It says, but Jesus answered and said to them, he's telling the Pharisees, the religious leaders, highly educated, they've studied the scriptures all their life, uh, they've memorized the five first books of the law, etc., etc. He says, you're mistaken. Can you imagine? And he says, you're not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. What's Jesus doing there among other things? He's confirming that the Old Testament scriptures are true because remember, they don't have a New Testament. They only have Old Testament. He's confirming the scriptures are true. Any amens on that? This is Jesus talking. Now watch this. Matthew 5, 17, 18. Do not think, and he's here, he's coming on the scene now and he's talking. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill, meaning to fill it up with knowledge, to give us understanding of what these things mean. He says, verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. What's he saying? He is saying that the Old Testament scriptures carry divine authority. That's what he's saying. This is Jesus talking now. Now watch this. John 10, 35. He says, and he called them gods, small g, 
to whom the word of God, capital G, God himself, the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. He's calling the scriptures the word of God. Is he not? Is he not? Now, Jesus has this annoying habit. You know what it is? He affirms Old Testament passages that people today criticize and say it's fable, it's not true. And Jesus affirms it. Watch this. Matthew 19, 4 and 5. He's, they're talk, asking him about marriage. And he says, and he answered and said, have you not read? Isn't that something? Have you ever read? Are you just a bonehead or what? He's saying. <laughs> have you ever think what he's telling these guys? He goes, have you not read that he, God, who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Who's he talking about? Adam and Eve. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Am I right? He affirms that Adam and Eve are actual people. They're not metaphors. They're not ghosts. They're not allegories. They're not mythology. They're not, they are real people. That's what he's saying. And it irritates people. It even irritates some Christians. And by the way, I will add, since Adam and Eve are real, and we all came from them, and whoever you married, you married a relative, distant, but a relative, okay? We all came from Adam and Eve. That means we're one race, the human race. They tell you out there, the politician there, oh, this race, that race. They keep trying to divide us, friends, because they don't know the truth. The truth is we came from one. And we're all from the same, whatever ethnicity you are, you're one human race. And that's what you are. Never forget that. Amen? Amen. Okay, good, good. Because I'm getting hot now. Turn the air down, Jesse. No, I'm joking. Okay, next. Watch this. Watch this. Matthew 24, 36, 37. But of that day, Jesus speaking, an hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Verse 20, 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. What is he saying? This is Jesus. He affirms Noah as a real person. He's affirming the flood. It did happen. This is Jesus. It just annoys people. It's great. Now watch this in Matthew 12, 40. Jesus says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Who did he just affirm as a true person? Jonah, and that Jonah was swallowed up by a giant fish, right? He's affirmed, this really happened. He's saying these things, okay? And today they go, oh, no, it couldn't have happened. Jesus said it happened. And then in Matthew 4, 3 and 4, says this. He's, this Satan's coming after him. It's in the desert. It's after the baptism of Jesus. It says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Watch his answer. They don't have a New Testament, remember. But he answered and said, It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And three times Jesus will quote from Deuteronomy in that passage. It is written. It is written. It is written. See, in all this you realize he's saying the word of God is permanent. It's unchangeable. It is eternal. And it is written to show us how to live. Did you catch that? It is written to show us how to live. Now, let me try to drive this baby home. Let me try to finish, because you're getting hungry, I can tell. 
so much. Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate and he's on trial, which is laughable. He thinks he has Jesus on trial. Jesus has him on trial. But that's another message for another time. Pontius Pilate, when Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, Pilate says sarcastically, what is truth? I think it was sarcastic. He could have maybe said it curiously, but I think he said sarcastically. What is truth? You ever think about that? It's the biggest miss of all time. Because what's standing in front of Pilate? The truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's the biggest miss of all time. You know the second biggest miss is? When Jesus is hanging on the cross and the one thief says, if you're on the Christ, come down off the cross and save us all. He didn't recognize it either. The second biggest miss of all time. He's right there. Some of us in this room, we've been missing it for years. You keep denying it. And you're missing it. And it's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. In case you at home or here, you're doubting Jesus. You say, it doesn't matter if Jesus said it's true. Well, let me tell you something. The historical evidence for Jesus' existence and what he did is greater than any other person in the ancient world. And it doesn't even come close, all the evidence. So you don't listen to the bloggers who say, oh, he didn't know his mythology. Joe Rogan says, you know, you have to be a blank idiot to do this. Don't listen to them. They don't know anything. The historians who study this stuff say otherwise. Let me go back to Bart Ehrman, who I said earlier, University of North Carolina. The foremost in America, New Testament scholar, he's an agnostic moving towards atheism. He even says in his books to the bloggers who talk about Jesus in the way, he goes, would you guys just shut up now? Jesus did exist. Jesus did die on a crucifixion, on a cross. This is historical. We have the historical evidence. And the disciples, the eyewitnesses, they do believe, this is the way he says it, they do believe that they saw a resurrected Jesus. Now, Bart Ehrman doesn't believe they, that it was actually Jesus, but he'll admit they, they believe they saw a resurrected Jesus. Historians who are not Christians around that era of time, they even write that the tomb was empty. We have all this evidence. We have all the eyewitnesses that Jesus existed. The tomb was empty. He existed. And by the way, I'll throw this one at you too. Chew on this one for about a thousand years. Christianity, day of Pentecost, begins in Jerusalem. It's a small city at that time. 3,000 people come to Christ based on the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't true, all they had to do, and the religious leaders would have loved to have done that because they hate Jesus. They could have just gone about 600 yards over to this side of the city, roll that stone, pick up the dead body, and let's bring it over here and march it around and show you this guy never rose from the dead. That's all they had to do? 
It's a little city? But they didn't do that. You know why? Because he rose from the dead. It's just that simple. And there's way more evidence than that, but like I said, not a college class. <clears throat> so Jesus is marching from that Last Supper. And it's the great prayer that he's praying to the Father. And he comes, we come to chapter 17 of John as Jesus is walking and he's marching up uh, the Mount of Olives in the, in, the, in the dark. He's talking to the Father and he's praying and he says this. He's telling, Father, sanctify them, his disciples. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We have the truth. We have the truth. And like I said earlier in the five criteria for a New Testament letter, it had to have the, 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 the transforming power of God in it. So, in Acts chapter 9, New Testament letter. It covers about 30 years, I think, of the, of the early church. A guy named Saul. And you know, I say this too much, but I say it a lot because I want you to remember. It's the law of reoccurrence. Saul hates Christians. He's a highly respected, high up position religious leader, totally in opposition to Jesus and the movement at all. His job is go kill Christians. Exterminate this phony baloney cult. So he went out and he's hunting Christians down to murder them. And he does. He's successful at it. And he's traveling on the road, uh, road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, light flashes from heaven, knocks him down. And he's on the ground. And he knows, he knows this is something supernatural happening to him. And he's a highly intellectual guy, highly educated. And when he, he says this, he knows it's supernatural. He goes, Who art thou, Lord? And the voice comes back and says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And not just biblical historical evidence, but his historically, we know that he really lived, that his life was this way, that it did have an abrupt change, and he started a different course because Jesus came and revealed himself, the resurrected Christ revealed himself, and his life changed. And this guy writes 13, if not 14, New Testament letters. He plants churches all around the Mediterranean. He's moving Christianity, man. It's a life-transforming power. And that night I went to church on August 12, 1979, 42 years ago. Didn't want church, didn't want God, didn't want Jesus. I wanted to continue my, my drinking and everything that went with it, man. Lifestyle. I didn't plan on giving my life to Christ. I didn't plan on being a Christian. I didn't say, well, tonight's the night. No, I didn't do that. But I gave my life to Christ. And in a moment, in a moment, and this is why I can debate with you on all the other evidence of God, but this is one that I bank on too, my personal experience. What could have changed me in a second? Only the power of God. My life was going this way. And then in a second, it went that way. I wasn't perfect, but boy, did I look at life different because the Spirit of God came to live in me and it changed everything. That's the power of God to change a life, to change a life. Some of you have never, ever put your faith in Christ, whether you're here or watching me. You've never done it. And you are practicing the biggest miss of all time every day, every day. 
So let's get it right. Let's put our faith in Christ. If you've never done that, if you've never become a follower of Jesus Christ, let's do it now. Let's get it right. If you backslid, it's time to come back. Whether you're home or here, you got to get right. Look, we need to start this thing. Look, they have shut Christianity down for a long time, telling us to keep it to yourself, while all the while they, they blur out all their false beliefs. It's time to stand up. It's time to, to, to live our faith and share that faith, but some of us need to jump on board now. You need to put your faith in Christ and get it right. Let's get it right. So I want you to close your eyes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer. If you want to place your faith in Jesus for the first time here in this room or watching me or rededicate your life, you're going to repeat this prayer out loud with me. You're going to surrender and give your life to Christ. I'm going to be honest. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. That's what it is. I want everybody in this room to say it out loud with me, all you Christians, but those who are going to do it for the first time or rededicate your life, you, you, you repeat these words too and you believe. You put your faith in Jesus and then you watch what happens. Here we go. Repeat now. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would give your life for me. So today, I'm going to give you my life. All of it. Forgive me of my sins and I know I'm forgiven. I surrender all of me to you. Take my life Lead me and guide me in your ways. Thank you for saving me. Allow me to pray now for you. God, I pray for those who pray that for the first time or in rededication. You really need to get a Bible that's understandable. We have them in the lobby at the Connect Center. It's free. You need to get around other believers jump into church where they actually teach from this Bible fellowship in person in human person form you need that you're going to watch your life begin to change you're going to see temptation come left and right to try to take you back don't worry that's normal Satan's angry because you switched teams but know that the Spirit of God lives in you now and all of your sins have been forgiven. And you're in right standing with God the Father through Jesus Christ His Son. That's a great thing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen and Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.